everyone to episode number six of the Lifestyle Empowerment Podcast. On today's episode, I will be discussing the importance of dietary fat and some of my recommendations on how much a specific individual should be ingesting on a daily basis. Obviously, this is going to be down to the individual's needs and within context, but I'll give a couple examples and whatnot of where I believe uh, people should be at, especially for a minimum uh, dosage of dietary fats per day. So a lot of us feel, or at least we did at one point, that dietary fat was bad for us. We were told it would raise our cholesterol and it could lead to heart disease or heart complications or any sort of health issue along that nature. Um, And in the recent years, research has proved that this information is incorrect. Uh, I think it also proved that this was more of a marketing thing, kind of like portraying fat as bad for you. Um, Now, obviously, with that being said, when we're looking at things like trans fats or highly processed fats, like, you know, the canola oil used for deep frying things and whatnot, just one example, uh, yeah, that can definitely lead to health complications. Um, One of the reasons being they're highly inflammatory oils, for example. And so when we eat these processed foods, we kind of like end up damaging our cells and realistically making ourselves up of this highly reactive, highly rancid fats. And so one of the importance of, you know, building off of that, of dietary fat is fat is what builds your cell membranes, right? That is what you, your cell health is determined by is the type of fats you're ingesting and the amount. So for example, if you're ingesting, you know, chronically low amounts of dietary fat, you're not going to have a lot of, shall we say, substrate to build the cell membrane out to improve the rigidity and fluidity and the permeability status of that cell to keep things like toxins and endocrine disruptors out and letting in the good nutrients. So a lot of this chronic uh, low dosage of fats that I continuously see can lead to the cell degradation and ultimately creating more issues. Um, or in the circumstances of eating too much processed fats, you're kind of building those cell membranes of these highly processed fats. So there's gonna be poor cell communication Uh, And once again, letting in things like toxins and endocrine disruptors. Uh, You look at things like an example is your myelin sheath. Um, That is, it's protected, it's protecting the nerve cells, right? And so when you look at it like an autoimmune disease, such as multiple cirrhosis, that is the act of your immune system attacking that myelin sheath and degrading that, exposing those nerves, which will result in a lot of the symptoms that you see with multiple cirrhosis, especially when it comes to like motor patterns and motor recruitment and whatnot. Um, but just also just general as a whole with cellular communication. So these healthy fats that you should be ingesting in adequate amounts are going to help build things like your myelin sheath to protect those nerve endings. Um, Fat is also crucial for building cholesterol, which, you know, now we know cholesterol from your food, such as eggs, for example, is good for you, not bad for you. You don't have to worry about raising your, we'll call it bad cholesterol when eating, you know, a high amount of eggs, for example. Um, you know, there are people that tend to have intolerance to eggs, uh, and that could be more of the issue rather than cholesterol. But, um, realistically you are fine eating something like, you know, animal fats and eggs, for example, 
because cholesterol is the building block for your hormones. So if you look at it, and it's, uh, it's called a steroid pathway, you have your dietary fats, your liver, cholesterol, pregnenolone, which is the precursor to all your hormones, and then that goes into your progesterone, your testosterone, your androgens, and into your estrogen. And that's how that all works. Now, in terms of you know health and function, these hormones are crucially important uh, for so many physiological processes. You know, you look at progesterone in the menstrual cycle. Uh, progesterone is great for calming, so like low levels of progesterone can promote things like anxiety and depression. Um, also, low levels of progesterone are can are what can create those very long the time frame between cycles. So instead of being regular average 28 day cycle, you're going on like 36 or 40, or sometimes you look in the form of PCOS where estrogen is always high and progesterone is always low. They don't get a cycle sometimes. Um, this also goes to like competitors uh, and as to as why they lose their cycle because they are burning through their hormones with the excessive training and caloric deficits. Um, because you have something what's called the pregnenolone steel, which you need cortisol in these calorie deficits and these environments of excessive training and stress. So your body can steal it from pregnenolone, taking all that substrate to go to cortisol rather than to building the hormones, not to mention training itself is going to deplete hormones and deplete cholesterol. So now you're kind of left with nothing to build these hormones out of. And this is why when you look at addressing hormonal imbalances or low hormones, for example, it's a matter of eating more food and pulling a lot of training because we need the necessary substrate to build those hormones, which is very common in females. Uh, mainly because um, society, the internet, I'm not sure exactly. I just, through experience, have witnessed many, many nutrition plans, uh, you know, deep calorie deficits, low levels of dietary fat intake and excessive training, cardio six days a week, training five days a week or something like that with high volume in a caloric deficit. And this is realistically going to burn through a ton of hormones, leaving them with no cycle, no energy, and just feeling like garbage, right? And so when it comes to the amount that an individual should be eating, realistically, you want to take a few things into consideration. One, we need to take hormone production into consideration. Two, we need to take cell membrane health into consideration. Uh, three, we need to take brain health into consideration. And there's probably many more that we could go over, but we'll focus on those three major things. So when you look at fat sources and you look at like uh, omega-3s, for example, DHA and EPA, your EPA is going to be your anti-inflammatory aspect where your DHA is going to be that brain building aspect. This is why in pregnancy, they tell mothers to take higher levels of DHA to help build the baby's brain. And when you look at, we'll just use an example of competitors as they get really deep into their deficits, they kind of like lose their cognitive function. You know, they, for lack of a better term, they become stupid, right? They forgetful, those kind of things. And that's just part of the game. That's just running low caloric deficits and low amounts of fat. But that's because once again, there's not enough uh, necessary substrate to help with that cognitive performance, the building blocks for the membrane health, um, and just the nerve communication. So this is why dietary fat intake for the general population is super, super important of the right sources. We want to make sure that our brains are nice and sharp, that we're decreasing neuroinflammation, that our cells are communicating properly, and that we're building optimal hormones just for everyday function. And so let's, let's talk of the case of females. 
Um, for general health purposes, I realistically do not like to see any female under 50 grams of fats per day. Um, and I will get into those sources because remember, we could say 50 grams of fats and that could be made up of one main source of uh, type of fat, you know, like let's say saturated, then that might not be good for you. Um, or, you know, if you're fitting your macros with Oreos and donuts, you're going to be making it up of, you know, very poor quality fats. <laughs> uh, and so 50 grams of the right fats. Now, I have some females um, that will get up to like 80 grams, for example. And once again, this is going to be dependent on stress levels, training levels, health complications, current environment. There's a few factors that play a role. But I personally believe not only through research, science, and just experience that a female should have at least 50 grams of fats every single day. Now you can use a cyclical approach and you could average that out. So let's say you're really working on your physique because we will want to decrease calories to uh, better our physique, which I'll get into that in a second. Um, but you could do like 30 grams of fat the one day and then do 70 grams of fat another day kind of thing and average it out throughout the week for 50 grams of fats. And so why I would mention physique here is because when you look at trying to obtain a physique, you obviously have to be in a caloric deficit. So with that comes, you're going to want to bias your calories towards protein for muscle preservation in a caloric deficit. And believe it or not, you want to bias it towards carbohydrates. Um, there's many reasons why people think low carb is optimal. Uh, yes, there's obviously circumstances uh, where you want to run low carb that will be dependent on the training phase. But carbs do fuel recovery. They do fuel performance um, and energy and such. So I believe they're crucially important to caloric deficit. Um, but there are times where I will use very low carb to no carb depending on the context. Um, but so realistically, you're going to bias more your calories towards that. And so that's not going to leave you with a lot of calories towards fat. Now, this is where if you refer back to my training stimuli video, this is where we can use cyclical approaches with the nutrition as well as the training to prevent too much of a decline um, that is associated with low levels of fat intake. So for example, if we're using a more glycolytically demanding phase, uh, so the body wants more glucose, more glycogen, you can then bias the calories more towards your carbs, next towards your protein, and you can lower the fats for a short period. If you do this for, let's say, like up to three weeks, you're probably not going to cause a lot of harm. Um, it's very unlikely that you will, you know, plummet hormones, take hormones, you know, destroy your cells, all that kind of stuff. Short durations are fine. And that's what the research shows anyways. It shows like the up and down of the caloric, so, you know, caloric deficit for a couple weeks and then caloric uh, surplus for a couple, uh, like a week or two and just kind of going back and forth with this cyclical approach will stem the best fat loss for natural individuals. And that's just because it's keeping metabolism up. You know, you're not maladapting to lower calories. You're keeping thyroid output higher. Um, and, you know, you're keeping that optimal hormone production. Or you can support it with certain supplements and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but so you could run this low level of fat for, let's say, three weeks while doing this glycolytically demanding training phase. And then you can switch out and go into more of like, let's say, a powerlifting style where you can then run lower carbohydrates and bias more of your calories towards your protein and fats and focus on that cell membrane health, you know, the cognitive performance and the hormone production while still being in a caloric deficit. Um, so that's where the training really plays a huge role when we're talking physique because we want to be able to manipulate these strategies in order to keep optimal health and wellness while 
trying to achieve fat loss because many of us know that fat loss, the act of fat loss is not healthy. The end result is having lesser levels of body fat will be lesser inflammation um, and all that. We all know the benefits of being leaner. And so this is why you'd want to use that cyclical approach. Now, in terms of like just health and wellness, if you're just trying to rebuild hormones and stuff, I see no point in ever going below 50 grams of fats. Um, there also is a probably a point of no return of going very high fat just because you run like 150 grams of fats doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to build like a ton of hormones and all that kind of stuff. There are several variables in play, uh, but realistically for uh, females, I would say no lower than 50 grams of fats. If you want a very, very generalized rule of thumb, I would say no lower than 0.4 grams of fat per body weight. Um, and so like if I don't quote me on the math, it's got that's got to be for like 125 pound female. That's got to be around like 40 grams of fat. Um, is what I would say. Um, and you wouldn't want to go any lower than that. Um, but as mentioned, there are c- circumstances where you could, you could drop down to 15 grams of fat just for a very short period and then cycle out of that and utilize the training in terms of deficit. But in terms of health, there's no need to go under 50 grams of fats when trying to build hormones when trying to, you know, balance immune system, uh, build cell membrane health, you name it, improve cognitive performance. You, there's no need to go below 50 grams of fats. Um, now, whether that is, we'll say, tolerable or not, um, is going to be based on things like genetics and digestion. So, in the terms of genetics, there are some genetic traits where individuals have certain genetic mutations where, yes, their cholesterol can get rather high eating high intakes of fat. Now, wh- now, where I what I believe and what has been proven as well is. Your genetics, remember, they're not your destiny. Uh, life, uh, sorry, genetics load the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So if you're not properly methylating, you can act on these specific genes that can stimulate the high levels of cholesterol from eating high levels of fat intake or even moderate fat intake. Uh, but improving your genetic expression via your environment, your stress management, your nutrition, and what ideally is healthy for that specific individual, they can you know get away with eating higher levels of fats and not worry about acting on that gene to increase those levels of cortisol or sorry, cholesterol. Um, so that is one where it's, once again, it's entirely down to like environment and context and all that stuff. In terms of digestion, a lot of people are, they're suffering with a compromised liver, uh, and due to various reasons, stress, uh, environmental toxins, toxins in their food, poor diets, you name it, uh, you know, drinking water, all sorts of reasons as to why this liver can be, uh, you know, compromised. It's usually stress because things like proper, like adequate detoxification are not really being achieved. And so what happens is, is you produce less and less bile. Um, and also your biliary ducts, so where the bile travels can get, we'll call it congested as well due to several reasons like inflammation and whatnot. And so what happens is you're not producing enough bile. So you're getting poor fat digestion and, um, those without a gallbladder, like I highly recommend that you supplement ox bile because you're going to really struggle with that fat digestion. So once again, consult a professional, but, um, ox bile could really benefit with that fat digestion. And so a uh, couple ways that you can determine whether you're digesting fats properly or not is one is, uh, it's, well, it's pretty much all your stools. <laughs> um, like you can look at things like high levels of fats can cause heartburns because ox bile, um, Ox bile can 
not can it neutralizes stomach acid and so you know that can lead to heartburn and such Uh, but realistically you pay attention to your stool if you see oil in your stool then obviously you're having uh, poor fat digestion like if you're eating 50 grams of fats and you see oil in your stool you could guarantee that that's just poor digestion Um, if you're eating 150 grams of fats and you see oil in your stool you just might be eating too many fats Um, You could take more bile, but realistically, do you need that many fats? Unless you're doing full-blown keto, probably not. Um, So I would, you know, just lower your fat intake. Um, But or floating stool is another indicator. So if your stool floats, then it's okay. I'm not making enough bile or proper bile usage. And then this is leading to the poor fat digestion. So just improving upon liver health clearing up the biliary ducts and maybe supporting with some ox bile, um, you can improve your fat digestion. And so going on to males now, I would say with males, um, you wouldn't want to go any lower than like 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. Once again, and under specific conditions, you can do that. Uh, Fat maybe not as crucially important for hormone production as it is for females, uh, but still the same rule applies for cognitive performance and cell membrane health, um, all those benefits. Um, So for males though, because you can allocate a little more calories, I usually like to keep them anywhere between 75 to 100 grams of fat when working on health issues. Um, That is like when you're focusing on health issues, that is where you'll get a pretty consistent fat intake. Once again, as mentioned, there's no need to really lower that fat intake unless dropping body weight, dropping body fat is what's going to help achieve that physique, which in most cases it can, or sorry, achieve that health, which in most cases it can. But I do work with quite a few individuals that their body composition is actually okay. And although yes, weight loss could help, it's not going to help as much as us keeping a higher caloric intake, reducing stress hormones, uh, building hormones, uh, and like restoring cell membrane health and all that kind of stuff. So I like to keep for males anywhere from 75 to 100 grams of fats daily. Uh, Once again, you can use a cyclical approach. You could do 75 grams on a training day and allocate more calories towards protein and carbs. And then a non-training day, you can, you know, allocate less calories to carbohydrates, for example, because there's less demand and allocate more of those calories towards fats. So then you have this nice average of a consistent dietary fat intake to maintain, you know, optimal health and function. Because it is crucially important. Um, and I think fat gets a bad rap. There's like a, lots of myths around fat. Um, you know, if you're truly concerned about your fat intake, it's one, as mentioned, watch your stool. Uh, but you can also go for blood lipids, uh, you know, get your cholesterol levels checked. But with that being said, remember, there are many factors that could play with higher levels of cholesterol. Um, you know, stress is a very, very big one. Um, but looking at, you know, your LDL, so your low density lipoprotein, that's is your quote unquote bad cholesterol. There's actually new research showing that you don't really want to tank it. It still is of importance. I mean, it's in the body, right? And so, uh, so that's important to take into consideration too. So, you know, if you get your blood work, consult a professional, obviously your doctor and everything. Um, but don't be afraid of things like eggs, for example, or animal fats. Um, they are within proper context. They are very healthy for you. 
Um, and even so, like, there's a lot of debate about uh, linic acid, uh, you know, so like flaxseed oil, for example, and that it leads to um, insulin resistance and chronic inflammation and such. And, and once again, it's always boiled down to context. So, for example, if someone is following, you know, a very poor diet that is highly saturated in omega-6, which can act as a pro-inflammatory, not all omega-6 are pro-inflammatory, though, that's very important to understand. Of course, you could potentially contribute to some sort of underlying inflammatory disorder. Um, and so then maybe you would want to watch something like flaxseed oil. But in most cases, flaxseed oil can be very beneficial. As mentioned, not all omega-6 is pro-inflammatory. It can help with immune signaling because you do want a healthy ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. Um, you know, we demonize omega-6 and we put omega-3 on a pedestal, which rightfully so it should be. But that doesn't mean entirely cut out as much omega-6 as possible and only eat omega-3s because once again, having that improper ratio can lead to other health complications such as immune signaling and such. Um, so don't be afraid of something like flaxseed oil. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're concerned, do your research and stuff, but I personally like to use flaxseed oil with myself and with clients, especially when we're talking about balancing the immune system. I find it, it helps a lot. It's very, very beneficial, um, you know, getting the right ratios. And of course I don't want to use omega sixes from like poor foods. So I use it from good quality foods like flaxseed oil. Um, so that's, that's one thing to consider as well is there's the myths and, and whatnot around fat. Um, but know that if you're ingesting the right fat sources, um, you're definitely going to be doing yourself only benefits. Um, so some of the fat sources that I like are, I use oils. When you look at like the Mediterranean diet, for example, they use a lot of oils and they've been proven to be a very successful, healthy diet. So when you work with lots of health complications, you tend to lean towards olive oil, avocado oil, even coconut oil. And like I said, some flaxseed oil, for example, um, understandably. So those aren't like mm, delicious kind of thing, especially the way like I try to get people to ingest them and the way I ingest them. Uh, I just shoot that stuff straight. Um, but you can use things like nut butters, for example. Um, one thing that I would be conscious of with, with things like nut butters is histamines, for example. Um, so many people are familiar with histamine has an allergic reaction, which is true um, because it'll stimulate inflammation and give you those symptoms. And so nuts can tend to be higher in histamine. So like when you look at like brain fog, for example, um, that's where that could be coming from. So I just let people be cautious. I try to have people be cautious of that. Um, not to mention like and from a micronutrient nutritious standpoint, I like other fat sources like avocado or dark chocolate. Once again, the histamine rule applies to those as well. So just, you know, in moderation kind of idea, making sure that, you know, you're not creating too much of a histamine response. And that once again will boil down to genetics um, because you have an enzyme called DAO um, that is your histamine clearance enzyme. A lot of that is housed in your microvilli. So most of us have some pretty damaged guts. So we just have this poor histamine clearance due to that and due to poor methylation. So improving upon that will enable you to better tolerate things like nuts and nut butter. So like I like Brazil nuts. Uh, you know, almonds are always fine, pecans, you know, for me, Brazil nuts are probably my go-to though, because of the selenium content in them for the thyroid, for example. And so that's just kind of the stuff I use, but as well as, as animal and fit, like fish fats and, and extra lean ground beef. Um, I always say that, 
you want to go grass fed with beef. And if you're not to get as lean as possible because the toxins are stored in fat. So getting leaner cuts of conventional meat will be safer for you. But grass fed is usually lower in levels of toxins. So you can get away with eating higher levels of fat, um, you know, like a ribeye or something like that, rather than a top sirloin. Um, I still like to use at least 93% ground beef when, you know, giving uh, meals to clients and such and myself personally. Um, but yeah, that's a great source of fat is your ground beef uh, and steak. You know, don't let that whole, uh, shall I say, stigma around saturated fats deter you from eating animal fats or things like grass-fed butter and such. Once again, when you have a balanced nutritional plan in the form of like, you know, saturated fat, monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated fat, um, you'll be fine. (laughs) You'll be all right. It'll only benefit you. And so, uh, you know, not to mention meat contains so many nutrients for building blocks of cell membrane health of, you know, cognitive performance, neurotransmitters, you name it. Right. Uh, so definitely don't be avoiding animal fats. Uh, like salmon is a really good one. Uh, cod obviously is, is a good source of fat, but it's very low in fat, like your white fish. So make sure to add other fat sources to that meal if that's what you're eating. Um, but once again, too, there's a big uh, argument around PUFAs, polyunsaturated fats. Um, I Realistically, to me, what you're saying that salmon is bad for you, which I don't agree with. You know, that's not the context. But once again, do your own research. I personally uh, do not believe in that argument. Um, you know, I've only seen great results using a mixture of all sorts of fats. I'm not really worried about a little bit of polyunsaturated fat. Um, so don't be afraid of your fish and, and your certain seed oils and all that kind of stuff. Uh, flaxseed, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, um, sunflower seeds, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, can be very beneficial for you as well. I just recommend getting ground when you're doing seeds, just easier on the digestion, good source of fiber though, good source of nutrients. Uh, you know, there's, uh, some females may be familiar with seed cycling. Um, so using that for your fat sources is really good to help detoxify estrogen and promote better menstrual cycles. Um, so those are some good fat sources there. Uh, eggs obviously is a great fat source. I personally cannot do eggs because my immune system reacts to them at this point in time anyways. So, but they are a very good source of fat. Uh, once again, you do not need to be afraid of the cholesterol that is in them, you know, unless you're eating 100 eggs a day kind of thing. The average person is not going to have to worry about that. Um, so, yeah, like just dietary fat is very, very important. Um, and hopefully, you know, you have a general idea of, of its importance at this point now of the podcast because I see a lot of nutrition plans running really low fats. And the reason being is because once again, you look at the bodybuilding industry. Um, I had a conversation recently with someone on the weekend where they were working with this bodybuilding coach and I can't remember if she said no fats or some fat, like just very minimal fat intake is what was going on. And so where that kind of stems from is because the bodybuilding industry, uh, a huge percentage of them are running performance enhancing drugs, performance enhancing drugs. So exogenous, exogenous hormones. Um, and so realistically in terms of hormone production, well, you obviously don't need to produce them because you are taking them. And so you can get away with lower fats. Now this doesn't mean it's not going to have an impact on all the other factors that I mentioned, like the brain health and the cell membrane health. And so it's still important to have a minimal fat intake even when using performance enhancing drugs. 
But yes, in order for you to get to those stage levels of leanness for you to win and compete with the other competitors, you are going to have to run some pretty low levels of fat just because calories are going to get so low and you're going to want to bias them towards protein for muscle preservation. So you're going to really be sacrificing carbs and fats. And that that's just the reality. That's the name of the game. No, it is not healthy. Um, but if as long as you're doing it properly, you're not going to you know totally damage yourself. Now, unfortunately, many people have done it improperly and I hear about it all the time, you know, and they're still suffering with the repercussions of competing and running extremely low calories or running performance enhancing drugs and stuff. They can do quite a number on the body when used improperly. So it's important that if you're going to, you know, take that route that you're, you know, hire someone who knows what they're doing and then cares about your health, right? Like obviously, you know, we have to really push that physique because, you know, all that effort for nothing if you know, we're trying to keep you the healthiest individual but also step on stage. Um, but, you know, this is where cyclical approaches can come in and not com- doing show after show after show is a really big one because that's a issue. It's it's like a it's like a bug. You get bit and it, it's it's you know, you're like, "Oh, I want to do another show," especially if you placed well. I mean, obviously not speaking from experience. I've never stepped on stage. This is just conversations that I've had with others. Um and just, you know, I think it's kind of common sense. You do good, you want to do good again. It's a very big confidence booster. But try not to do show after show after show. Take the time to make sure that you are increasing your caloric intake coming out, increasing your dietary fat intake, building hormones, building cell membrane health, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it, it, you, that's probably the healthiest way you could compete. Uh, and you're not going to you know, knock a bunch of gears off your life. And realistically, you're going to go on the Olympia stage. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you do what you got to do, right? But let's try and stay healthy in the midst of bodybuilder competitors competing as much as we can, you know, by not following these stigmas of like, only eating lean fish so your daily fat intake is like 10 grams now once again though within context because i've done plans where we do carb cycling for example and on one day they will have 125 grams of protein and 1000 grams of carbs with 10 grams of fats but that's just one day of the week and then the rest of the days of the week the average is equaling out to still having an optimal fat intake to ensure that we're not creating too many health complications associated with low dietary fat intake. Um, so that is kind of ways, once again, the, the nutritional cyclical approach is to achieve fat loss, um, but still maintain health to the best ability that you can during these fat loss phases. Um, but yeah, when it comes to health, eat your fats, make sure you're digesting properly. Um, that is not dietary, like healthy dietary fat. It's not bad for you. If you're truly concerned, have your genetics checked, have your cholesterol levels checked, um, and then you can proceed from there. But what needs to be done if something stands out? Um, but most cases, you know, when you look at high levels of cholesterol, it is stress and inflammation. It is not due to dietary fat intake. It's the same with like blood pressure and the whole sodium stigma. Usually high blood pressure is due to inflammation and stress, not levels of sodium, unless there's a genetic trait that is occurring, okay? So hopefully, uh, you know, that gives you some insight uh, and understanding of dietary fats, and you can make, uh, you know, some wise choices moving forward with your nutritional strategies. Um, But thank you all those for listening in and watching in. Take care, everybody. 